0: Hello and welcome to the podcast of Emanuel Assemblies of God in Knoxville, Tennessee. We're so glad you've taken the time to listen. If you're ever in our area, we invite you to join us for one of our worship services. For times and locations, please visit at emmanuelag.com. Today, if you'll look with me at Isaiah's chapter 55, verse 6. This uh there's <laughs> Pray with me for a minute. Let's, I, I need God to help me bring this out because there's a million things floating around in my heart and in my mind. And, and I really feel that he's got something specific that he wants to say. And I want to get me out of the way. You know, if he wants to tweak it, I want him to bring it out how he wants to bring it out. Lord, Lord, I just take this time to. uh, uh, This is an important time. The ministering of Your Word, Lord. We're looking for You, not for me to speak. We're looking for You to speak. We're looking for You to speak through Your Scripture and through Your Word and through my voice, Lord. Father God, help me. Give me utterance to say the things that You would want me to say, and put a guard on my lips, Lord. Prevent me from saying things I shouldn't say, Lord. Let me speak Your words today by the help of your spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. Isaiah 55 and verse 6, it says, Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Let the wicked man forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. Let him return to the Lord that he may have compassion on him and to our God, for he will abundantly pardon. Come on, raise your hands right there and thank God that he will abundantly pardon. I mean, the the most wicked and vile man, if he will forsake his way and forsake his thoughts, he can turn to the Lord and he will pardon him. Come on, nobody has gone too far. Nobody has gone too far if you are willing to forsake your ways and forsake your thoughts. Verse eight, for my thoughts are not your thoughts and neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. You hear that? My thoughts are not your thoughts. Your ways are not my ways. This is what God is saying. And I want you to understand, this is a problem to God. This is a problem in his mind. My thought, you're not thinking like me. You're not living like me. You're not acting like me my thoughts are not your thoughts. Your ways are not my ways. See, God never intended for the earth and heaven to be separate. He never intended for things to run one way up in heaven and run some totally different way on earth. Heaven and earth were together. I mean, God walked on the earth with Adam. Adam fellowship with God face to face. They were alike in mind they were alike in nature they were alike in character adam was god's representative on the earth when adam spoke on the earth he spoke for heaven god never intended heaven and earth to be separate it wasn't his plan it wasn't his doing you know that's how i know that we as humans we have true what theologians would call libertarian free will i'm not talking about politics when i say libertarian what i mean free will true freedom to choose you know why because um if we didn't god would have never allowed him to choose to fall to choose sin to choose against him come on have you ever been out with your wife or your husband and you say where do you want to eat i don't know you choose <laughs> do you really mean that because when i say it i don't <laughs> because if you're going to say you choose and you're going to say she or he is really free to choose are you willing to live with the consequences of whatever he chooses Right? I mean, you know, what if I choose Salseritas again? (laughs) She likes Salseritas, but not every day. (laughs) But if, 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 if she gives me true free will to choose, she'll live with whatever consequences when I make my choice. And God gave Adam true free will. He said, whatever you choose, you have the freedom to choose for me or against me. And he used, exercised his freedom, which should have been used to serve God. He used it to choose to serve himself, which is the root of all sin, selfishness. Think about it. You can't sin for somebody else. (laughs) You sin for yourself. But now God's calling men and women of all generations and races all over the world to what? Forsake for the unrighteous, to forsake their unrighteous ways, to leave behind their wicked thoughts. And, you know, one of the biggest problems that we deal with as humans is the way we think. Think about it. The way we think can trip us up. It's one of the largest hurdles that we have to overcome, our mindset, our worldview, our perspective. Why? Because you're most of the time you're not even aware of it, you know? you're not even aware of it and what makes it crazy is everybody believes that they are thinking correctly i mean you just the way it is have you ever talked to a drunk person <laughs> you ever hear their logic and their reason man it is airtight in their mind and they could tell you what everybody's doing wrong and they could tell you about jesus and they could tell you everything they think and man their logic is flawless and you're sitting there looking at like you, you can't you can't reason with that you can't argue with that, you know? And there's many voices out there clamoring for our attention, right? You know, it comes through all the things. I mean, the internet, the media, the news, the the TV, the movies, entertainment, education, um, peer pressure, pressure groups, all of these things out there just clamoring for our attention with all of these ideologies. And some of them you just look at and you're like, what? <laughs> are you serious? How, how are you even coming to that conclusion? The next thing you know, you're trying to reason with them according to their logic, and you get sucked into it. And it gets stupid fast. But here's the thing. If you don't guard your heart carefully, diligently, that will be the way you think. Eventually, they'll wear you down and get you there. Well, that's the intention. And if not you, they'll get your children. Because ha- there's a lot of patience on the side of the enemy. He thinks generationally. He'll count you off if he can have your kids, you know? We've got to be able to introduce our kids and plug them into the kingdom of God so that they have the strength to stand on their own, not on grandma's faith, not on mom and dad's faith, but on their own. It's my prayer, man, that my kids know the voice of God for themselves. You know, the truth is a lot of the way we think has a lot to do with the time period that we were born into. If you live in the West, you know, especially if you're over 30 or 40 years old, the way you think is a largely a product of Western, like, 16th century rationalism, you know? that logical, the, the reason. We're very logical people. But, you know, people in the Eastern Hemisphere and people in the Eastern cultures, they have a different way of relating to people and thinking, right? That's very real to them. You know, it's very just, it's just how they think. It was handed to them, too but God's not he's not endorsing one philosophical idea over another what he's doing is he's calling us to give up our thoughts for his thoughts and our ways for his ways regardless of what they are and Romans 12 calls this renewing your mind renewing your mind it's more than just learning new information or getting new ideas or adding to your knowledge renewing your mind is actually about a change it's a change is there come on if you're going to really renew your mind there are things you're going to have to not just add to your knowledge there's some things you're going to have to unlearn there's some habits you're going to have to reject some things you're going to have to undo so that you can embrace this brand new completely different out of this world way of living called the kingdom of heaven renewing your mind you know you would have thought it'd been more spiritual than that renewing your mind you mean i can just i can change the way i think and it'll change my world yeah yeah can't be that easy can it no i need to go on you know some pilgrimage to some holy place i need to go have a sabbatical in the mountains for 40 days or go out in the wilderness and fast for 40 days right that's what i need to do i need to soak or something for days and till my life change no you need to change your mind that's the thing that God says will change your life, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. You can do all of these things and not not let it not let it produce a change. See, there's a lot of there's a lot of spiritual things circling around out there right now. Tons of them. You know, everybody's got the next formula for changing your life. You know what I mean? The next formula, the the Christian self-help gurus, you know, selling the next book, the next method, whatever, out there. Come on, this is the the secret, the secret that's going to change everything. If you want to spend your money on that, go ahead. They're, they're pushing this. They tell you that we can change your life if you'll just do this one thing. But the Bible teaches that the way to transform your life is to renew your mind. Let the wicked forsake his ways. The unrighteous man forsake his thoughts. See, renewing the mind is more spiritual than you even know. You know, it really set me free to realize that I could be spiritual and normal at the same time. You know, you can be spiritual and normal at the same time. It's all right to be spiritual and normal at the same time. Some of the best words of wisdom or knowledge that I've ever received, you know, they just come to me almost like recalling a memory. You know what I mean? ever recall a memory and it's just like oh yeah i remember and all of a sudden you remember the memory and everything about it right well what about god gives you a memory that you actually didn't remember (laughs) a thought comes into your heart and it's a word and it's god and he's showing you he's teaching you he's leading you and you don't have to be weird don't have to act like you're always seeing into another realm You know, it's okay. to. Sometimes you need to take the time to focus. And I'm not making fun of how anybody ministers or or hears from God. But, you know, sometimes you need to pray or focus, you know. I'll just tell you honestly, for me, praying in the Spirit is the way that I open my spirit up to hear from God. Um, I don't pray in the Spirit for you. I pray in the Spirit to connect with God so I hear what to say, you know. Um, but, but we don't have to be, we don't have to be goofy and weird and, and, uh, act like spiritual. We can act very normal and operate in the things of the spirit. Why? Because you are spiritual. You are a spiritual being. You are a spirit first. You are housed in a body, but you are a spirit. The spirit world is your natural environment. And renewing your mind is more spiritual than you can think. You know, reading that in context, it says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship." worship. Then it says, don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed. This is all one thought here. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. The, the, the most spiritual person among us is the one who can hear the word and put it into effect in their life. The doers of the word of God. That is the spiritual person among us. And through the prophet Isaiah, God is telling us of this problem. He says, uh, "And back into Isaiah 55 and verse 8, he says, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, and your ways are not my ways. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, my ways are higher than your ways, and my thoughts are higher than your thoughts. This is a pretty hopeless situation. Especially because this was before anybody even shot a rocket ship up there and had the audacity to believe that that they could reach heaven, you know? They're sitting here looking up and it's like, God's thoughts are way up there and God's ways are so far beyond us, nobody can touch them. But thank God he doesn't stop there. Because, you know, what good is giving you the problem without giving you the answer, right? Don't you get tired of people who always can tell you everything that's wrong with everybody and everything, but never give you, <laughs> never contribute to the answer, right? God doesn't stop there. Because what what did Jesus come to do? He continues in verse 10, For as the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return there, but water the earth, making it bud and sprout, giving seed to the sower and bread to the eater, listen to this, so shall my word be that goes out from my mouth. It shall not return to me empty, but it shall accomplish that which I purpose and shall succeed in the thing for which I sent it. Look, God is initiating a change on the earth here and he says he's going to do it by sending his word. His saying, his utterance, his speech, this is what he's going to do. He's going to speak and he's going to send his word into the earth and it's going to make a change. It's going to solve that problem of heaven and earth being this far apart. His word is what brings heaven and earth together. I'm going to invade the earth. I'm going to do it with my word. And so we come into the New Testament picking up where we were last week and Jesus said, the sower sows. The word, the sower sows the word. So go to Luke chapter eight. We're going to spend the rest of our time primarily there in Luke chapter eight. And I'm going to go ahead and read the parable again. It says Luke chapter eight and verse four, when a great crowd was gathering and people from town after town came to him, he said in a parable, a sower went out to sow his seed. And as he sowed, some fell among the path and was trampled underfoot and the birds of the air devoured it and some fell on the rock and as it grew up it withered away because it had no moisture some fell among the thorns and the thorns grew up with it and choked it and some fell into good soil and grew and yielded a hundredfold and as he said these things he called out he who has ears to hear let him hear so he would say when he would uh tell a, a something kind of cryptic, you know? When he was saying something that he didn't want everybody to understand, but if you had ears to hear, you could get it. Are you listening? Are you really listening? Did you hear what I say? Did you get it? You know? So he's saying, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. See, when Jesus told this parable, you know he wasn't giving a lecture on just the common problems with farming of his time. You know, he, was, he wasn't he was out there teaching farmers what they needed to do. What he's doing is he's talking to bring explaining the way by parable how the 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 way the kingdom of god is going to actually come into the earth that's what he's explaining the strange way actually it's coming not with swords and clubs like other kingdoms do or chariots and battering rams but it's coming as a seed that is sown into a person's heart because what were the people expecting you know the jews at his time they they weren't expecting this Talk about growing seeds and and the kingdom of God being like a seed and growing. They were expecting a Messiah to come, a warrior to come, and oust Herod and replace him as the real king of the Jews. Get rid of this corrupt high priest and give us a good one. And for crying out loud, get us free from under the hand of these Gentile Romans who are dominating us. That's what they were looking for, a physical kingdom. But that's not what Jesus came to do. And they didn't get it. And so when his disciples came to him and he said, Tell us what the parable means, he said in verse 10, To you it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of God, but for others they're in parables, so that seeing they may not see and hearing they may not hear. Think about that. Because see, you've been told and I've been told a parable is a, uh, how's that go? Is a, uh, a natural story with a heaven, an earthly story with a heavenly application, right? And it is. But the reason Jesus was using parables here was not so that simple minded farmers could understand. He was using parables so that those on the outside would not understand. It was judgment because they rejected him. You rejected me. Someone speak to you in parables. You won't follow me. You rejected truth, and even what you have is going to be taken away. Be careful how you listen. We need to do what we can with everything God's been given us. But then he turns around to the disciples and he gives them the interpretation. To the disciples, he says, the parable is this. The seed is the word of God. This is verse 11. Now verse 12. The ones along the path are those who have heard. And the devil comes and takes away the word from their hearts so that they may not believe and be saved. That's a bad place to be right there, isn't it? So that they may not believe and be saved. Verse 13, and the ones on the rock are those who, when they hear the word, they receive it with joy, but these have no root, and they believe for a while, and in a time of testing, they fall away. As for what fell among the thorns, they are those who hear, but as they go on their way, they are choked by the cares and riches and pleasures of life, and their fruit does not mature. And for that in the good soil, these are they who, hearing the word, hold it fast in an honest and good heart, and bear fruit with patience. So just look at these three soils that failed to produce. Think about it. The hardened heart, man. The hardened heart. Last week I talked about that. The hardened heart, that was the heart that was willfully disobedient. This is not a hurt person. This is a person who had reason to believe and did not. The rocky soil. This is this is not soil with rocks in it, but the rocky soil, you know, picture in Israel how the stony the ground was. And when you come to a place where there was a large rock, there'd be like bedrock underneath the soil. There'd be an inch or two of soil. That's it. And then underneath it was a rock. And so the that seed could hit there and grow up fast. That soil was rich with nitrates and whatever, but it would spring up, but then when the sun came out, there was no moisture, and it would wither away. It wouldn't endure. No root. It couldn't dig roots. No depth of character. Think about it. Cannot stick with decisions. And then the thorns. The one fell in. What are the thorns? Think about it. The thorns are seeds that you have allowed in your heart that have been growing there already when the gospel came. Seeds that you've tolerated. Other ideas, other things, other cares growing up in your life that you've tolerated. And they grow up alongside of the gospel and they make the gospel unfruitful. They draw away all the moisture, they draw away all the nutrients out of the soil, and they grow. They draw away your attention from the things of God into the things of this world, and you fail to produce fruit for the kingdom. And what's interesting about this parable is this. See, modern-day church growing philosophy, they'll deal more with the sower or the method of sowing rather than the seed. Think about it. Yeah, here's how you have to do it to reach the group. You know, this man tried this method and it worked a little bit. So this man tried this method and it worked a little bit more. This man tried this method and now, oh, it worked great. So this is the method we need to use. That's how it works, right? Or or, or the seed. I mean, they would even have you, you know, change the seed to make it more appealing. (laughs) There's no GMOs in the kingdom of God. You don't get to modify the seed, man. The seed is the seed. It's incorruptible. You put something else in it, it's no longer the incorruptible word of God. And you wonder why he's not producing fruit for the kingdom in your life. Man, you've got to have the come on. Romans 116, I'm not ashamed for the gospel, for it is the power of God. The gospel is the power of God. What we need is the gospel more accurately understood and lived out in our lives. Get rid of all the fluff, all the junk, all the mixture, and be nothing be about the gospel. The word of God, the word of God is the power of God. So Jesus puts the emphasis on the soil. When the seed is sown upon good soil, the kingdom increases. Simple as that. Come on, that's easy. When it's sown on one of these other types of soil, it fails to produce. Because it's not a problem with his message, it's a problem with the soil. Because, you know, you can see this in Jesus' ministry. Think about this for a minute. You look at the townspeople in the synagogue of Nazareth. Remember back in the beginning of Luke where he starts his ministry and he goes into the synagogue. They give him the sermon or the, the scroll of Isaiah the prophet and he reads that and he starts speaking about the spirit of the Lord is upon me and he's anointed me to do all these messianic things and he says today this is fulfilled in your hearing, right? So they, they listened to his sermon on Isaiah but they failed to accept. They were unwilling to accept what he was saying. And so what happened? The word went out. It scattered on the path. The birds came and ate it up. It was trampled underfoot, and it was done, failed to produce. The Pharisees, you know, they're watching Jesus. They're in the synagogue. It's Sabbath day, and they're in there, and even though the power of God, actually, they're in the house in this one. uh, Well, there's two. I'm blending them all together. But they're sitting there watching. The power of God is present to heal them. And Jesus heals this man. He says, stretch out your hand. His withered arm comes alive right in front of them. And they refused. They reject him. Why? Because they didn't like how he did it. They didn't like what he was saying. And they didn't like that he was doing it on the Sabbath day. And so the seed went out. It was trampled underfoot. The birds came and ate it up. That was the end of it. No fruit. Remember the crowds that followed him out into the wilderness? They ate. They, they they ran across the lake and the boat was going over there and they saw him headed that way. They literally ran around the lake and were there first, man. He gets off the boat and there's the crowds. And they for three days, he teaches them. And three days, they're following after him and he's feeding them miraculously, the loaves and fishes. But later he says to them, he challenges them. He says, you were just following me because you ate the loaves and you had your fill. And when the message got hard, they rejected him. They fell away. The word went out, it hit the shallow soil, sprouted up quickly, but when things got tough, no fruit, they were done. They were done, failed to bear fruit. But you know what? At the same time, we see this Gentile centurion, a man who believes that Jesus has the authority to heal his servant. We see this tax collector over here willing to give up every single thing that he had to follow Jesus. We see a woman who forces her way through the crowd just to touch the hem of his garment. And here is where the word is received and here is where fruit is produced for the kingdom. Unlikely candidates, huh? That's not the people that you wouldn't think that that was the people that God would use. Why did he use them? Why? Because they were willing and they believed. Man, God will use anybody who's willing and believes. He'll use anybody who will receive his word. It's a matter of the heart. He came to his own, and his own rejected him. But where the seed fell, under good soil, man, it produced a harvest, some 30 and some 60 and a hundredfold. You think God can use you? Yeah, think again. He can use you. but we've got to develop our soil. You know, look around. Just look around at our culture today. Just think about the people you come across every day, out where you work, out in the stores. And, you know, just think about what kind of soil they might represent. Be careful. I'm not telling you to judge people because you can't always tell by looking on the outward appearance. But uh, our culture is becoming increasingly and increasingly closed to the gospel. You know, I think in times past, we could have made the argument that in America, uh, we re- basically received the word, but because we're so darn just distracted by the cares of life and other things, it just doesn't produce. But now we're coming to the place where we're so hard that the word just goes out and it's just rejected, exactly like those Pharisees rejected. We're coming to that place in America. Outright rejection of God in our mainstream culture. It's a horrible thing, isn't it? bad place to be but i want to talk to you for the next few minutes about this parable of the sower uh, and how it relates to the end times that i believe we're really i mean (laughs) we've believed we were living in the end times since the bible said this is happening in the end times right but this is the end of the end times and and even if it's not the end of the end of the end of the end times it's closer than we were before right and i mean enough things are happening fast enough there's a lot of people who are concerned and rightly so. Just look around you. Our culture is changing so quickly. I don't know. I, you know, you only get to live one lifetime and see how things change in your one lifetime. So I don't know how many generations have experienced such radical change so fast. But things are changing out there very quickly right now. And we need to know how to think about it. We need to know what our role is in this thing. Because the, the, the culture would have us believe that we are irrelevant, non-essential, sidelined. But I'm telling you what, the end times are God's end times, and you have a role in God's end times. Romans chapter 2, it speaks to our culture today. Romans chapter 2 and verse 4, it says, Do you presume on the riches of His kindness and His forbearance and patience, not knowing that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance? But because of your hard and impenitent heart, you are storing up wrath. Do you hear that hard heart? That's 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 the seeds on the path, man. That's willful disobedience. It says you're actually storing up wrath for yourself on the day of wrath, when God's righteous judgment will be revealed. He will render to each one according to his works. Each one according to his works. Verse seven: To those who by patience in well doing seek for look at that patience and well doing, isn't that the the good soil? who by patience is producing a harvest patience and good doing is seeking glory and honor and immortality he will give eternal life but for those who are self-seeking and do not obey the truth but obey unrighteousness there will be wrath and fury in other words god's kindness and patience was supposed to lead people to repentance but even in light of his generosity they still have refused And the more people refuse to to turn to him, even though he's withheld judgment and given people time to repent and showed his goodness, they're actually storing up wrath for themselves on that day. Last week I said that the hard heart was not necessarily, like I said, a hurt heart, but it's a heart that is willfully disobedient it's those who have refused to believe even though they have every reason to believe okay let me tell you people who are hard hearted it's the people who went through the Red Sea with Moses right they walk through wall of water on both sides picture it here right they're walking through on dry ground I mean it was a sea a minute ago now it's dry ground and you're walking through you come out on the other side the armies the, the armies of the Egyptians are trapped in the sea and the next morning you're standing there dancing and singing praises to God as the Egyptian bodies are washed up on the shore and yet you refuse to enter into the promised land because you're afraid that God won't be able to do it for you. That's willful disobedience. That's willful unbelief. It's the Pharisee who watched Jesus bring that withered hand to life and knew that he was speaking for God. Yet he wouldn't refuse to believe. It's the children who've grown up with parents and grandparents who've walked and honored the Lord, yet they've rejected their parents' ways so they could go the way of the world. That is what I'm talking about, willful disobedience. It's not that they haven't heard or they haven't known. They've known they have every reason to believe, every reason to honor God, but they harden their hearts. And to them, they trample on the seed, Satan comes and steals it, and then they cannot believe, and they cannot be saved. That's what a hardened heart looks like And that's where we're going as a culture Because of your hard and impenitent heart You are storing up wrath for yourself On the day of wrath When God's righteous judgment will be revealed But look at verse 7 To those who by patience and well doing I like this Seek for glory and honor and immortality He will give eternal life I like those words Glory and honor and immortality I th- we're missing that in the church today. We are. There's something heroic about a person of God who will stand and seek after and pursue glory and honor for God. Amen? Oh, it's a, John Lake used to call the, the, the gospel message a strong man's gospel because you need to be strong. God will make you strong. If we're going to represent him, we're going to be strong. Who will seek for glory and honor and immortality, eternal life. And you know, I know we don't like to talk about judgment, but my question is this, why not? We don't, you know, they used to sing songs. Soon and very soon, we are going to see the king. That wasn't that long ago. Soon and very soon, we are going to see the king. Come on, yeah. soon and very soon. We are going to see the king. Hallelujah, hallelujah. We're going to see the king. Why are we so afraid of that, that we don't deal with that anymore? Why is that not our hope, you know? Look at 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Uh, verse 10 it says we must all appear before the judgment seat of christ so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body whether good or evil look we're all going to stand before him why are we afraid and i don't mean necessarily you 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 as a church why are we not talking about this anymore why are we willing to give up our hope to be with the lord It seems like we spend a lot of time just talking about how God is pleased with me and I'm under grace and it doesn't matter what I do. We spend a lot of time teaching that. But what about the boldness, the confidence that he builds in us that we can stand before him in his presence and know he's going to look at me and say, well done, good and faithful servant. Come on, that's what he has for us in these end times. We've got to have that confidence in our lives so we can stand in the evil day. We're not supposed to be the ones running and hiding and saying mountains fall on us. He's got something for us to do in these crazy times we're living in, right? I know. I know this verse in Second Corinthians. There's this theology about this is the judgment seat of Christ. It's not the same judgment as the judgment seat of God, that great white throne judgment where the sinners stand there and they all get thrown into the lake of fire it's a different judgment seat i get that but yet still look at it we're going to stand before the judgment seat of christ so that we can receive what is due we're going to give account for what how we've lived but god's not left it. he wants us to bear fruit and produce fruit it's those who are producing fruit who are going to stand before him here and and be rewarded for what we've done in the body while we're here on this earth and when we stand before him i want to tell you he's not going to be judging the word He's going to be judging the soil. Think about it. He's not going to say, well, I mean, you know, I'm sorry. (laughs) For some reason, that seed just didn't sprout in your case. (laughs) Come on in. It's all right. No, the word is perfect. It always produces. It's the soil that determines how far and how much. It's the soil. What can we do to make ourselves be good soil, to believe him, to stick to it and have character? Look, come on, we can't do it without his help. You can't save yourself, okay? You don't save yourself. But boy, you can do things to help your heart. You can do, you know, you can plant a garden. I've used this illustration. You can plant a seed and you can't make that seed grow. It grows by itself. But you can do things to let that seed bear more fruit. You can do things to to uh, call, keep the, the, the critters away, fertilize it, keep the watered properly, keep the soil new. The soil filled with fertilizer. You can do things to make that thing produce a harvest. We need to be people who are seeking with that glory and honor and immortality and producing a harvest for God. God is looking for an end time army who's willing to live this way. He won't be judging the word. He won't say, oh, I'm sorry, I, for some reason it didn't work for you. He's looking at the soil. He's looking at our willingness to obey. He's looking at our character. He's looking at our affection for other things, those things that would draw us away and make the Word unfruitful. And uh, as I was just thinking about this, I, I, I used this video that I'm about to play, and I used it um, when I was teaching kids about 10 years ago. But I want to share it with you now. It's, it's, let's, let's go ahead and play it. And the thing is, the church is not ready. Forget the world. Don't forget the world. The church is not ready. I mean, if you watch that and your heart is filled with fear and he's like, if you're going to be one of those out there apologizing, getting ready to meet, you know, God, thank God, 24 hours. Who are you going to call? You're going to go and get all serious now, you know, or is there an excitement to think about the coming of Jesus. I mean, you know your heart. I don't. But overall, the church is not ready. You can tell by our message. There's no message. I mean, we're afraid to stand before him and be judged for what we've done in the flesh. And, and, I've, and I've, you know, there's a couple of things. You know, when you look at the Bible and it describes that day, I see two different reactions to it. Okay? Listen to this from Luke chapter 21 21 and verse 25, it says there'll be signs in the sun, moon, and stars. Jesus is just talking about what's going to happen. And on the earth, distress of nations in perplexity because the roaring of the sea and the waves. Come on, we're all freaking out about sea levels and everything else. And it says in verse 26, people fainting with fear and with foreboding of what is coming on the the world. That's, you know, King James talks about men's hearts will fail them for fear of what's coming on the world for the powers of the heavens will be shaken and then they will see the son of man coming in the cloud with power and great glory men's hearts are going to fail them and then down into verse 34 same chapter but watch yourselves lest your hearts be weighed down with dissipation and drunkenness and cares of this life that they that day should come upon you suddenly like a trap there's a group of people man they're not ready that day is going to corner them like a trap, and they're not going to be able to get out. But listen to this. Listen to how Paul writes about this in 2 Timothy. This is where where we need to be. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. Come on. I've kept the faith. Henceforth, there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, he's not afraid of the righteous judge, because he knows the Lord, the righteous judge, will award me on that day. And not, on to, not only to me, but also to those who what? Who love his appearing. Come on, what's the word in the Bible? Maranatha means what? Our Lord come. That's the cry of our hearts. Maranatha, Lord Come. 2 Timothy 2, 11 and 13. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation to all people, training us. Listen to what the grace does. The grace of God trains us to do what God is calling for in Isaiah and in the parable of the sower. It trains us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age. Waiting for our blessed hope What is our blessed hope? The appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ Do not let modern theology rob you of your blessed hope, man Do not quit longing for his appearing Do not quit celebrating what he's going to do when he comes back That's what we're living for We can face him with great boldness and great confidence Because of the work that he's doing in us But so over here on this one side, you get this fear and anxiety, apprehension about his appearing. And over here, you've got, man, this longing, this expectation, our blessed hope. And I was just thinking about it as I was preparing. I, I came up with three reasons. There might be more. Three reasons why people are afraid. One, they're just simply not ready to face Jesus. They've not met him. They've not repented. They're still in darkness. And this day is a terror to them and will be a terror to them. If they don't change, maybe they just haven't fully surrendered. They've heard the message, so they know enough to be afraid, but they've not just fully surrendered. You know, come on. It's a lifestyle of fully surrender. I mean, I I, I fully surrender. And when I learned something, I didn't surrender. I have to surrender again. You know, I was doing pretty good. Then I got married and I learned I had to surrender a lot more. Then I had kids and I had to learn I had to surrender a lot more. Then I became the pastor of a church and had to learn. You're always going to grow and learn areas where you need to surrender. It's a lifestyle. You're not going to get it all right the first time, but it's the attitude of the heart that begins to produce fruit now for the kingdom. Secondly, the reason I believe people are afraid is they're not bearing fruit for the kingdom and they know it. They're not bearing that fruit. There's no depth of character. Their whole lives are, they confess Jesus, but they're weighed down with dissipation and they're distracted by the cares of this life. The third reason I think that people aren't ready for him is they're just comfortable with where they're at. I I don't know about you, but for me, the way I see see things going in the world, I'm getting more and more uncomfortable. (laughs) That could have been me a couple of decades ago, you know? man, I was comfortable, you know, I'm going to live in this Christian world and be a Christian and have all these things that I wanted to have. But, you know, when you realize that your, your ideas are not even a reality anymore because things are so crazy, you you get a little less comfortable. And that's okay. Let that stir you, but they're comfortable and they don't want to leave the familiar to get familiar with God. You know, there's an old song and I don't, I don't remember. It was a, one of the early days of Christian Christian rock or Christian contemporary. And it, the lyrics went, one day Jesus will call my name. Anybody know that song? As days go by, I hope I don't stay the same. I want to get so close to him that it's no big change on that day when Jesus calls my name. Man, if you're close to him now, you don't have to fear him then. You don't have to fear him then. But if you're not ready, here's the thing. The end times are not something to be feared. I'm telling you, this is the church's finest hour. This is God's finest hour. This is when God used to pour out his glory on the earth through his people. And yeah, we'll be persecuted. Yes, there will be resistance. Yes, some of us will maybe be martyred. But it's God's finest hour. But it's going to take men and women of character who pursue honor, glory, glory, and pursue the things of God. Amen? And if you're not ready, you can be. And know this. I, I mean, I hope you don't hear when I say this. God's not looking for perfection. He's looking for willingness. Even the fruit that was the good soil produced varying degrees of fruit, right? 30, some 30, some 60, some 100. I mean, if you don't hit your 100-fold harvest, that doesn't mean you're a failure, man. Are you producing fruit? Is your heart working that way? When he gave away those talents to the people, he gave away the talents according to their ability. And the only one who got in trouble was not the one who didn't produce the most. It was the one who hid the talent and wouldn't produce anything. So we need to take what we have and live for God with abandonment. Amen? So what I want to do in closing today is this, Tom, if you come up, there's just the old song that uh, uh, we shall see the king when he comes. I just want to sing this a few times and I just want to celebrate I just want to put this in our heart, man. I want to celebrate. I, I would have, Hey, I would have found a new song if there was a new song about it, <laughs> but I don't know a new song about it. I want to celebrate the coming, the soon coming of Jesus. You know, that's one of the four, Yeah, one that's one of the four uh, fundamental doctrines that we believe in the church. Jesus is the healer, the savior, the baptizer, and the Holy Spirit. And number four, nobody preaches about it much. He is the soon coming King.